learning how to worship. I love that. That's fantastic. Fantastic. A couple of comments uh, before I start today. One is just want to add my, uh, my blessing to the extent I can to mums today. I hope you really are blessed and loved and cherished. Um, and recognize what the video said. Man, what an incredible set of eyes you've got. <laughs> and what incredible love you show. You reflect the Lord in his heart. So uh, uh, be blessed today and, and enjoy uh, what is given to you. I have a, another uh, an invitation for our church. This is more on the serious side. Uh, as some of you know, uh, the issue of human sexuality is being debated in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in Canada. And um, we've been involved with that for some time. And we are having a meeting as elders and inviting you to come to it on Tuesday night, the 30th of this month. Um, we really feel, as we have been very much engaged in this, very prayerful, a lot of thought, a lot of discussion um, uh, about the reality that uh, it's time for us to open up the discussion to our church and to hear from you. Essentially, the discussion is over our, our belief and our practice regarding um, the marrying of uh, active homosexual people and uh, the potential of ordaining them. There's a movement in our church to that end. And there's an initiative coming to General Assembly in June, which is a bit of a surprise. Uh, most of us don't think it will succeed, but it might. Um, and um, probably it's a year or two from now before a decision would be made. But what we want to do is update the congregation on where we stand as a denomination, what the, uh, what's, what's unfolding, um, and, and let you know exactly what's going on. But most importantly, we want to hear from you. We feel it's really, really important that we discern the mind of God as we have been doing and that we would do, it, uh, do so as we listen to the voices of, of the people of our congregation. So we are inviting you to come uh, on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, the 30th of May. Put it in your calendar, please. We're going to have a loving and gracious and respectful conversation and uh, try to identify all the issues in, in, a, in a good way and share with you essentially where we stand and... Um, um, essentially, the question we want you to respond to that night is this. If a change was made in our denomination, what would you want us to do? So you can reflect on that and uh, come prepared, if you would, to share your thoughts. So let's uh, move forward into this uh, time of hearing from God through his word. Let me pray. God, we just need you all the time. In every way, we need you. You're our savior. You're our salvation. You're our hope. And God, when we think of the dynamics of uh, spiritual warfare, as we've been discussing in recent weeks, we know more than ever we need you. So we invite your presence now. Uh, we pray that you would reveal your truth to us, that you would take hold of our hearts, and that you would change us, God, transform us, show us what it means to follow faithfully after Christ. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to do a quick recap of where we've been. I think hearing this sermon today without having a bit of a sense of the uh, series that we're in the midst of would be a little challenging for anybody to um, engage. So I just want to recap really quickly, quickly. We're looking at the David and Goliath story from 1 Samuel 17. We've learned that there's a spiritual reality that is being defined for us there, which we still live in today. We participated, if you would. We have an enemy uh, named the devil, symbolized in Goliath. Uh, he comes into... Our lives, he seeks to take ground as the Philistines took ground in Judah. Um, but the enemy can be defeated. If we will use spiritual weapons which have divine power to demolish strongholds, we looked at that last week, 
That's uh, from 2 Corinthians 10. Those beliefs which get lodged in our mind that are contrary to the truth of God. And last week we learned the first step in terms of what do you do about this? It's one thing to know that this spiritual realm exists and to know that we have an enemy that seeks our destruction. What do you do? And last week we spent time together very simply saying we have to embrace weakness. We have to. We have to recognize we and ourselves cannot overcome the enemy. David, as a young man, could not defeat this trained, skilled warrior. In his instance, as it is in ours, it is God at work in us. It is God's power that overcame Goliath, and it's God's power in us who, which will overcome the enemy in our experience. The second step today, though, becomes what, what do we do? Beyond embracing weakness, like what do we do? David had to do something, right? He wasn't the one who ultimately won the battle. He wasn't the one who gained victory over Goliath. I mean, God did it. God's power. God, the mighty one, worked through him. But you know what? He had to go to King Saul and say, let me go. And he had to run toward Goliath, which he did. He had to pick up five smooth stones. He had to put the stones in the sling. He had to fire the stones at Goliath. He had to engage the battle. And the question for us this morning is, how do we engage the battle? Uh, uh, with the enemy of our souls. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to reference 1 Samuel 17 where we can, but the focus is going to be on Paul's words to the Ephesian Christians when, when he talked about putting on the full armor of God. Now, I want to say a few things before I read the first verses from that text. Number one, Paul is writing to Christians, the Ephesian Christians. He is saying to them, to those who are in Christ, these are the weapons that you can use. This is the armor that you can put on. This is the way that you can gain victory over the enemy. But I want to tell you, you have to be in Christ first. You have, you have to come to that place where you believe in Christ, where you repent of your sin and confess it before God. You, you make Christ your Lord and your Savior, and you're, you're in relationship with Him. Now, if you don't do that, what I'm going to describe to you today isn't really a possibility. You know, you're left, if you would, vulnerable to the enemy. You don't have the potential of God coming along in power in your life in the way that we're going to discover. Second thing that we're going to glean from the first four verses here, uh, it says, put on the, the full armor of God. Put it on. This is action. This is something we must do. Can you imagine being a, a soldier going into battle and you've got armor to wear, but you just say, oh, I'm not going to bother. And here we go. You get slaughtered. <laughs> You have to put it on. This is, this is engagement that I'm talking about here today. And I'm going to suggest to you that when it says put it on, it says put it on all the time. You don't do it once and forget about it. Every day in life, we are to put on the armor of God. And if we don't put on the armor, we will be vulnerable to the attack of the enemy, who is a powerful enemy and powerful foe. And then in that little phrase, which, by the way, is used twice in four verses, which I'm about to read, put on the full armor of God. It says the full armor of God. All of it. Can you imagine this soldier, you know, the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the spirit and so forth. Some of you know the text. We're going to read it for you. Can you imagine a soldier saying, well, I'm going to put on the helmet, but I'm not going to put on the body armor. You know, I'm not going to bother to cover up my vital organs. Or vice versa, I'm going to put on the body armor, but I'm not going to put the helmet on. You know, he would be a sitting duck in a battle. <laughs> he would be vulnerable if he didn't put it all on. All right? So let's jump into this text. For those of you who are Christians, and if you're not, by the way, that's okay. Thrilled you're here. If you haven't come to that point of faith, if you haven't come to that point of fully committing your life to Jesus and being in relationship with him, we would love that for every person in the world, including you. And we hope maybe you're on your, on your journey toward that point. But 
what does this mean? Let's dig in. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is what we've learned. It's the mighty power of God which gives us strength, right? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Note the devil's schemes. The devil is brilliant. The devil will use the schemes that he devises to attack you where you're vulnerable and weak. That's why we need the full armor, all right? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. There it is. That's the second reference. So that when the day of evil comes, note it doesn't say if the day of evil comes. It's when the day of evil comes. And for all of us who are in Christ, another day will come, and then there'll be a day after that. We've got to learn to live with the reality because we have an enemy. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after having done everything to stand. After having, you have done everything. That's what we're going to talk about. Because of what you do, you will stand in the power and in the might of the Lord Jesus. So essentially what we're going to do today is march through the next verses. We're going to read them one by one. We're going to look at six pieces of either armor or weaponry uh, that are given to us to learn how to engage the battle. Let me tell you, Paul is in prison at this time. He's probably often seeing or is sitting as he writes, watching a Roman soldier dressed in the armor that he describes for us. And he's just using that as an illustration to communicate spiritual truth. First piece of armor comes to us in verse 14. It's, the, it's truth. Let me read that to you. Stand firm there with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And we'll just pause before going on to the next. We have to put the belt of truth on. Um, I want to tell you, I think this one comes first because it is so, so critical. Uh, because the wa primary weapon of the devil against us is to lie and deceive us. The devil will seek to cause you to believe things that are untrue and to diminish and destroy your life. Um, think of the lies uh, that, that were believed in the David and Goliath story. Think of the army of God's people, the Israelites. What was the lie that they believed? They, they believed several lies. They believed, number one, this giant can't be defeated. <laughs> He's too big. He's too powerful. I'm not going to fight him. Now, the whole point of the story is that that was a lie. Goliath could be defeated, and he was defeated. And he lay dead in the end with his head chopped off. But they didn't believe it. They believed the lie that the enemy was too strong, and it controlled their behavior. You know, they also believed the lie, contrary to David, that, hey, I can go up against Goliath, but he'd slaughter me because essentially I'm, I'm fighting in my own strength. They didn't know what David knew. He knew the truth. And the truth was that God was with him and that God was mighty and that God would win the battle. The battle is the Lord, David's, David said. And of course, that came to be true. You know, Goliath is shouting across at them, oh, you're, you're the armies of Saul. You're, you're just the armies of Saul. David comes along, and what does he call them? He calls them the army of the Lord Almighty, right? The, Goliath was lying to them about who they were, and they believed it. David knew better. David knew truth, and it produces victory in his life for God. Listen to me. When is, what are the first words of the devil spoken in, in the Bible? Genesis chapter 3. Did God, he's speaking to Adam and Eve, did God really say? And he starts to lie and he starts to deceive. And through his lies and his de deceit, he leads Adam and Eve into disobedience and sin. 
You know, it was Jesus who called this one the father of lies. I want to read to you John 8, 44, powerful words from our Lord. Every word of scripture is inspired, but listen to the power of these words, Jesus speaking to those who opposed him. You belong to your father, the devil. <clears throat> I hope no one here belongs to the devil. I hope no one here, whether you claim the reality or not, actually has a father whose name is Satan. But in this instance, Jesus said there were people like that. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. That's an absolute statement. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. How does the devil seek to first and foremost attack your life and harm you? Through communicating lies into your heart, into your mind, which you actually embrace and believe, and they will destroy if you, if you believe them. This is spiritual dynamic playing itself out. This is, this is the way the devil works. You know, another title for the, the, for the devil is Satan. That word literally means accuser. He, he accuses the brethren, the Bible says. He causes us to think things of ourselves that aren't true. He wants us to live under guilt, and he wants us to live under shame and under judgment. <laughs> um, and what Paul comes along and he says is, you have got to know and you've got to believe what is true. Here's my point to you. Every single one of us, to some degree or another, believes the lies of the devil. The more we expose ourselves to the truth of God, the more the lies are dislodged, displaced, and truth becomes prominent. <laughs> and that is our task, to take hold of and put on truth in our lives, to embrace it, to live it. Um, the strongholds that, that come are described in 2 Corinthians 10. The strongholds of fear, the stronghold of rejection, the stronghold of perfectionism, the stronghold of a performance mentality, the stronghold of shame, all of these things are based in lies. And the people who practice those things have believed the lie. Terry Wardle, who is the author of the, and leader of the Pastors of Excellence program, I've told you often about that, and of Healing Care Ministries now, talks about shame in these terms. It's a quote from him. Shame is agreeing with, i.e. believing the lie. Shame is agreeing with the devil that I am not worthy and I am per permanently spoiled because of what has been done to me. Think abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, otherwise. I have been spoiled because of what has been done to me or by what I have done, leaving me with feelings of hopelessness and worthlessness. <laughs> That's what shame is. Anybody here? Don't put up your hand. Anybody here experience shame? If you do, you're believing lies. Because I want to tell you, your circumstance is not hopeless. Because you have the mighty warrior named Jesus with you to overcome this thing called shame. And I want to tell you the truth from the word of God. You are not worthless. You are a precious child of God. Jesus died on the cross for you. You have great value and worth in his eyes. And because you have value and worth in his eyes, you are worthy. That's the truth. And when people who have been abused or who have done things that they feel shame over get a hold of the truth, the shame dissipates and we are freed from the power of the enemy. But we need truth, my friends. We need truth to displace the lie. And I want to say to you, one of the primary focuses of a Christian's life is the pursuit of truth, which brings life. That what will set us free? What did Jesus say would set us free? The truth will set you free. 
Seek it with all you have. Put it on. Wear it. Own it. Going back then to Ephesians 6, verse 14, the second piece of armor. Put on, stand firm then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. This is the body armor, right? Right here. Righteousness. Now, let me say this clearly and uh, for everyone to understand, if you don't understand it, righteousness, for those of us who are in Christ, is given to us. We don't earn it. You cannot earn righteousness before God by being good. It's just not a possibility. But the Bible says it's attributed to us. Literally, it's placed upon us. It's given to us. So that when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin because we have been made righteous with the righteousness of Christ. It's an incredible truth. Because of that, then, we have to live in that, that reality, live in that truth, and we have to strive to be righteous people. It's all over the Bible, be holy as I am holy, and we're given instruction over and over again about this dynamic. Listen, no one can be righteous perfectly in the way we live. What happens is we sin, and we confess our sin, and we encounter grace, and we are drawn back in intimate fellowship with Jesus, and the next day or the next hour, we sin, and we confess our sin, and we experience grace, and we're drawn back into our relationship with Jesus. This is the pattern of our life over and over and over again. We just say, here I am. I'm a sinner. Forgive me again, and God does. It's the way it's been designed, thank God, because of who we are. But I want to tell you this, my friends. (laughs) As we have discovered from Ephesians 4, uh, uh, verse, uh, in Ephesians 4, sorry, where it talks about not giving the devil a foothold by sinning. In your anger, do not sin and do not give the devil a foothold. Um, what happens is if we sin, especially in a habitual and an ongoing fashion, we give the devil a place to stand in our lives. As the Philistines took ground in Judah, so the devil takes ground in our lives. And Paul says... <laughs> Don't, you got to deal with this stuff in your life. I don't know who I'm talking to today who has an unrighteousness about them in terms of a particular act or whatever. I hope God is maybe speaking to you right now. And if he is and if he's convicting you, it's a huge blessing of God because we have got to deal with the reality of sin to the extent and, uh, and by the grace that God gives to us. So in Ephesians 4, not only are we not supposed to hurt people in our, and sin in our anger, we're to put off falsehood and we're to get rid of bitterness and we're to get, or get rid of rage and on and on it goes. It's all in the context of the previous paragraph that says, put off the old and put on the new. And it very much is like a piece of clothing or could I suggest today a piece of armor. <laughs> Take off the old but put something new on. Wear it. Wear righteousness. Embrace righteousness. Seek to live righteously before your God. Seek to live in a way that matches the reality of what God has made you in Jesus. And I want to say to you today, if you are struggling in an area of unrighteousness, get after that. Confess it before God. Ask him to forgive your sin. Be reconciled in in full fellowship with Jesus. And ask God by his Holy Spirit to empower you. Share your sin with other people that they might empower you. Do whatever is in your strength by the grace of God, to live righteously before the Father and not give the devil an opportunity in your life. So we need truth, but we also need righteousness. Unrighteousness opens the door. Righteousness closes the door, and the devil has no place. The next verse is, speaks of peace. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What happens when we come to Christ? We find peace with God. Peace. And, and when we find peace with God, we're called to peace with one another. And when we live in peace with God and with one another, guess what happens? We find peace settling into our souls. It's a beautiful, beautiful description of what God has for us, what he desires for us. We have to, my friends, 
make this peace a reality in our experience. Listen, the other primary tool of the devil, if the first is lies and deceit, the second is division. The devil will seek to lie and and cause, through unforgiveness, rage, and bitterness, uh, division among God's people, whether it's in your families, whether it's in this church, other churches, wherever we may be. Um, And, you know, that is why Jesus is so intent in both both contexts in Matthew, Matthew 18 at first. He says, "If, if, if you've wronged anybody, go to them and confess your sin. Go to them and tell them for the sake of peace. And, and if someone has wronged you and they haven't come to you to confess, as the wronged person, you need to go to them and say, hey, we have an issue here we need to work out. Why? For the sake of peace. Peace among God's people. And I want to tell you it's a powerful, dynamic, spiritual reality that when there is division and heartache, which even the devil has created, the devil is powerfully present and at work, but where there is peace among God's people, the devil is barred. He's not, he, he doesn't have access in that instance. Let me read you Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. Love these verses. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then this, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in, say it with me, perfect unity. (laughs) Can you feel it? Can you sense it? Do you know the truth of it? That when we live in perfect unity with one another, marriage, church, whatever, the devil, the devil is not, he doesn't have the access. I want to tell you something. I'm going to be really bold and honest with you. We have experienced the attack of the enemy at IPC over the years in terms of division and lies and deceit. If you've been around here long enough, you know what I'm talking about. And I want to tell you, the devil will seek to do it again. IPC, we cannot allow the devil to divide us one against another and to harm the work of God. Don't let it happen. So we need peace. Verse 16 talks about faith. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Think of it, Roman soldier with a shield, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Here's the deal. Roman soldiers would have shields. The enemy would shoot shoot arrows at them. The arrows would be uh, lit with fire. They were fiery darts, the old translation used to say. And they would coat their shields with leather because as the arrows landed in the leather, the the, the flame would be extinguished. And it it wouldn't harm them. And that's what we're supposed to have in terms of faith, we have got to, you know, get to this place in our lives, not a general faith, but with the exercise of faith. The exercise of faith so that when the arrows of the devil come shooting our way, when those times of difficulty and heartache and, heartache and pain come toward us, we have to receive them by faith. We've got a shield before us. And it's our, it's our faith put into action so much so that, that we know the presence and the power of Christ is with us. We know that he's the powerful victor. We know that he is the mightier warrior who was fighting the battle for us. So much so that when the attack comes, we can hold it at arm's length. Rather than it piercing our hearts and having us fall apart and, and, and question and, and, and wonder and struggle and, and, and be in a tizzy shall we say, no, 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 no. I'm going to keep that at arm's length. The arrow lands here because I know the reality of who Christ is and what God is doing in me. I know it. And we rest in that faith 
And we, and, and we survive the attack knowing that God is at work. I know a man who some years ago went to his doctor, and the doctor sat him down and said, I, I'm sorry to tell you, but you have cancer. And I said to this individual, this conversation just happened some months ago, although the event happened years ago. I said, how did you respond to that? And he said, well, I was shaken for about 10 seconds. And this man said to me, by the time I hit the sidewalk, I said to my wife, what do I have to worry about? Because I have Christ by me. And he was able to rest in faith because the arrow came, but the flame was extinguished. The arrow did not penetrate the heart because he stood in the faith of God and in the presence, his knowledge of, of the truth of the presence of God who would see him through no matter what the outcome might be. See, what happens sometimes is we encounter these really difficult times and people say, hey, where's God in this? And they're like the Israelite army. They think they're alone. They're terrified and they're dismayed. Oh, God, why did you let this happen to me? <laughs> Sometimes people experience these very painful attacks of the enemy, and they are painful. There's no question about it. And, and, and they blame God because God allowed this to happen. Listen, if the enemy attacks you, blame the attacker. Blame the one who shot the arrow, not the God who stands with you and is prepared to see you through it and to empower you to overcome. Stand in faith before God. Verse 17, we're called to put on salvation. Take the helmet of salvation and in a minute the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What is this idea of putting on salvation? Again, this is for believers, so it's not our salvation of coming into the faith in Christ. This is, this is a question about the ongoing salvation that the Lord Jesus will bring to us in our circumstance of difficulty and challenge. You see, the presence, in, in the presence of Goliath, David called God his rescuer, who would come and by his power preserve David's life. And as Christ has saved us, I want to tell you, so he will continue to save us in our darkest hour. When the struggle is there, when the challenge is there, he comes and he comes alive in times of, of need and of struggle and of difficulty to deal with and to defeat, defeat the power of evil which is at work within us. You see, we have to own this salvation. We have to put it on. It's not just something that exists somehow. This is a reality. We have to wear it proudly, and we have to then stand back and watch God act in God's time, in God's way, as he saves his people in their hour of need. And then same, same verse, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want to spend a minute in this one. The sword of the Spirit. The, uh, these Roman soldiers, they would hold a short sword which was used, this soldier was anyway, for defensive purposes. It would be a different um, sword if, if, if a Roman soldier was going in offensively in battle. But in this instance, he's holding this short sword to defend the attack that would come. And it that sword was critical for survival and for victory. Can you imagine a soldier going into battle even in our own day without armament, without weaponry? It's silly. Can you imagine one soldier, you know, being attacked by another soldier, the enemy, and the enemy has a sword, but this soldier defending has no sword? They wouldn't win. They couldn't win. They would be vulnerable to the attack. My friends, I want to tell you, so it is in our dynamic experience of the devil in our lives. We need the Word of God in our experience, day after day after day. 
because it is here that the lies which we have come to believe are addressed and truth becomes known in the inner being. It is here that sin is convicted and we can confess it and return to fellowship with Jesus, deep fellowship with him. It is here that faith is bolstered and strengthened. It is as we read the word of God that God speaks by his spirit and peace descends upon us. How, how does that happen? As we engage God in his word. See, I want to tell you, this book is a powerful spiritual weapon that we cannot avoid using if we want to win in the battle. We can't. But here's my experience in this world today. Many, many, many Christians don't tend to bother much with it. Um, many think of it as an empty book of, or, or even a boring book that somehow is irrelevant to life. And they have never encountered the power of God through it. I want to say, my friends, we have got to again become students of the word of God. We have got to study it and we have got to know it because it is here that the truth of God which saves us is found. And I'm just going to say to you right now, if you're one of those people who doesn't bother much with the word of God, expect defeat. Expect frustration. Expect the, the enemy's victory in your life. You cannot do what is being described without living in the word and encountering God here in his truth. And lastly, verse 18. It's not described as a weapon per se or a piece of armor, but it, Paul then says this. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Wow, prayer. Prayer in the spiritual realm is a mighty and powerful thing. Let me just ask you right now, do you believe that? I mean, how many people pray in this sort of fashion? They're falling asleep at night and they're thinking of the prayer they were taught as a little child, and there were many of them, but uh, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child, suffer my simplicity. And that's the extent of their prayer life. I want to tell you, the Lord gives you the potential for powerful influence in the kingdom of darkness if you will pray in his name by his, that being Jesus' authority. Um, someone has said that no one really knows how to pray or learns how to pray until they come to know that they have an enemy. You get that? No one really knows how to pray or learns how to pray until they come to know that they have an enemy. Why bother praying? No, no real need. But when you know you have an enemy who seeks your destruction, that the devil is like a lion, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, all of a sudden you get on your knees before God because you, knew, you know you need Christ and his power in you to survive this attack. You know you have someone who seeks your destruction and there's only one person who can keep you from it and his name is Jesus. E.M. Bounds has written lots of books. It's quite a while ago now, but he said this, the effectual fervent prayer, not prayer, one who prays, the effectual fervent prayer has uh, been the mightiest weapon of God's mightiest soldiers. Are you a mighty soldier for God in his cause or not? Didn't think of that question until right now, but it's a good question. <laughs> How many of you are mighty and how many of you are weak in the cause of Jesus, pushing back the gates of hell, overcoming darkness in this world? 
What I want to tell you is you have the potential to be a mighty, powerful force spiritually in the spiritual realm if you will pray in the name of Jesus and by his authority. And why so many Christians feel that this is something to be left for, you know, maybe older people who have nothing better to do in life? I, I have no idea. Your children need prayed for daily, passionately in the name of Christ because they have an enemy which seeks to destroy them. Your parents need prayed for. Your pastor needs prayed for. Your church needs prayed for. We have an enemy who wants to destroy us and the Lord comes along through his word and he says, pray in my name, exercise my authority and that devil will flee from you. But we're too busy with other things. Who, who are the most mighty warriors in this church against the kingdom of darkness? Let's take a minute. Is the pastor who preaches? Youth pastor looks after our kids, worship leader, you know? I mean, I could go through the various staff, children's ministry coordinator. Who, 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 is, who are the mighty ones in the spiritual realm at IPC? I want to tell you, it is those people who are fervent prayers, who pray, how did he, how did he say it? Effectual and fervent prayers. They are, they are the ones who are the mightiest weapon of God's mightiest soldiers because they move the hand of God against the enemy which moves against us. I've said this before lots of times. I'm just going to keep saying it, and I hope someday a light will go on in your mind if it hasn't already. I don't know if it has. But my sense is it hasn't in a lot of people's minds that Christ has died and Christ has risen. Christ is seated at the right hand of God, the sovereign Lord of all. He is all power and he is all might. He is the supreme leader, right? And he has an authority that is far beyond anything or anyone. And his authority gets exercised when you pray in his name. His authority, his power, his might, it gets exercised when you say in the name and in the authority of Jesus Christ, I pray that. Or when you speak against evil in a similar way, verbally out loud. Demons can't hear you, you got to talk out loud. In the name and in the authority of Jesus, I command you to leave me and to go to the throne room of God and to, uh, for him to do with you as you choose. Do you ever pray, say something like that? Do you ever pray against evil in your own life or evil in the life of other people? If you don't, please start. Exercise Jesus' authority by simply praying. And I want to tell you, when we become that kind of church, the enemy will fall flat on its face his face, and he will die, <laughs> and he will be overcome, and the victory will be ours. Will you pray? Will you put on that reality day by day by day? I want to conclude with this. What we're invited to here is, is quite literally into intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm inviting you into the deeper things of the faith. It, this is an encouragement to come into his presence. Listen to me, to know the one who is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. And you need to know his mind, and you need to know him. And we are invited into the presence the, uh, who, uh, of the one who is our righteousness. 
And we need to embrace it day after day after day and make it our own. And we are invited into the presence of the one who is our peace and let him give it to us as we are in his presence. And we are to come before the one who is the object of our faith and receive faith from him. And we are to experience the Savior saving us again and again and again by drawing close to him and letting him work. And we are to know the one who is the word of God revealed to us, Jesus. And we are to pray in the powerful name of Jesus so that he acts on our behalf. I want to tell you this. Ephesians 6, verse 10, the verse that begins the passage that we've studied, says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I want you to know you don't have to be weak in faith. You don't have to live a defeated life, never being able to overcome sin, never just you know, being a sitting duck at the hand of the enemy. You can be strong in the Lord. How? Through his mighty power at work within you. But you need the powerful one within you and alive and active and moving in the ways that we have described today. Can you imagine a church full of people who are so engaging the enemy in this fashion? what God would do through us. <laughs> How God would free us from the strongholds in our minds and he would take away our fear and give us peace. How we would become righteous in his, not only in his eyes, but even more and more and more as we grow and mature in him by the reality of, of, of how we're living our lives, the faith that would rise up so that the enemy would attack but it doesn't strike to the heart. And, and, and we're in our struggles. But you know, it's okay. This is going to pass. I got this. God is with me. Can you imagine, can you imagine, my friends, us experiencing the salvation of Jesus over and over and over again as we live in the word of God and live our lives as people of, of prayer? God wants us spiritually powerful for him. And it's only going to happen when each of us engages the enemy in the way that he tells us to. So I just, I just say to to you, you can be that mighty warrior like David was. There's no question about it. God will enable you. He will empower you. You can run toward Goliath and see him dead on the ground. And the whole army of Israel is going to cheer and go, way to go. Good job. God, job well done. For God will have gained victory again. This is our calling, my friends. And I say to you, do what you need to do. Do what you need to do to become the people that God can use powerfully in the coming of his kingdom. Let's pray. Oh God, there's so much more that we can embrace. There's so much more spiritual depth that we can um, dis discover and know. There's so much of your presence and your power and the influence of your presence in our lives that we could experience. We just pray, Lord, we, we will become those people who put on the full armor of God every day, all of it, so that when the day of evil comes, based on the schemes of the devil, we'll be able to remain standing in the end, seeing him fleeing us because of the power of Christ at work in and through our lives. God, wake us up and draw us close and make us the church we can be a powerful tool in your hand to overcome the enemy which is so at work in our lives and at times in our church and, and, and in this world of ours, this country of ours. 
God, you want the battle won. You want Goliath dead on the ground, defeated and overcome. You want, you want the army of the Philistines running away in fear. In Ephesians 6, you tell us the things we need to do in order to become that people. So work these things in us. God, we pray. Lord, we pray in the name and in the authority of Jesus Christ for these things to become reality in our lives. By your spirit, move, God, we pray. Change us and transform us and free us from the strongholds and from the fear, from the shame. Whatever, God, the enemy has done, free us from these things that we might know the life that Christ has died and risen again uh, that we might know. Lord, we open ourselves to you. We yield ourselves to you entirely. Our lives are yours. Make this teaching, Lord, a reality in us for your glory, for the sake of the coming of your kingdom. These things we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us? Okay.